Hi, it's Mark Stenson. I'd like to tell you about a new sponsor who's unlocking creativity in a unique way. It's an app called Headphone. That's H-E-A-D-F-O-N-E. On Headphone, you can listen to premium audio dramas like romance, thriller, and horror. I was just listening to a romance called That Night when business tycoon Gerald Cooper crosses paths with Lucy and Gerald's world is about to shift in ways he couldn't imagine. Right now, Headphone is offering listeners a 10% discount when you use this code to subscribe. Mark Creativity 10. So go to headphone.page.link slash markcreativity10. I'll put that link in the show notes. And thanks again to the folks at Headphone for their support of the podcast. Tap into your most original thinking. Organize your ideas and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And it's such a world of creativity. And for us to be limited to one role or one project, how many times are you out with friends and somebody says, hey, what do you do or what are you working on now? And you find yourself saying, I do this one thing, but I'm also doing this other, or I do this for a job and at night I do this for fun. These are the things that we're all uh, exploring all parts of our lives these days. And we want to delve into that with our guest today. My guest is Christina Wallace. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Christina is a senior lecturer of entrepreneurial management at Harvard Business School. And that sounds so weighty as she thinks about startups and boot camps. She's also an angel investor and advisor, but she's also involved in lots of areas of business and technology and the arts even. And we'll talk about that along the way. But mainly her latest book is called The Portfolio Life, How to Future-Proof Your Career, Avoid Burnout, and Build a Life Bigger than your business card. It's just out from Hachette Book Group. Christina, I think I want to start there. This idea that we're not just one thing, one title mm-hmm. on our business. And Lord knows some people need biz- business cards to cover all the things that they're working on. You even describe yourself in a, a title I love, a human Venn diagram. So many slashes and hyphens and things that you're working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is this kind of diverse career approach Um, really important for us to be thinking about these days. Yeah, it's certainly if you look at the context, the environment that we are operating in, it is a world that is marked by consistent disruption from technological to ecological, geopolitical. There's sort of one thing after another. These used to be like once in a generation, once in a lifetime things that now we're, oh, it's just Tuesday, right? Another one has come our way. And so in that context, it is impossible to build a long-term linear strategy because you don't know what the world that you're operating in will look like in 10, 20, 40 years, the way that our parents, our grandparents could reasonably expect that they would retire in a similar context that they started their career in. That's just not true anymore. And so in instead, you end up with something called an emergent strategy that requires you to be opportunistic, to be serendipitous. And the best way to do that in a world constantly marked by change is to have 
diversification, to have multiple irons in the fire. And whether that means multiple income streams or just multiple skill sets, networks, even identities, how you see yourself can be a meaningful either enabler of you to be able to pivot and go in a different direction or an inhibitor. If you say, that's not who I am, you don't even give yourself permission to take that first step. So good. I think you you wouldn't be surprised to know that that sounds very un-Harvard Business School. In the day, opportunistic and flexible and all these things also meant rudderless, directionless. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How are you going to stay on path? How do we reconcile those two things? Yeah, I think in two ways. One, I am proud to report that HBS has become much more entrepreneurial mm-hmm. as a whole, recognizing that it's hard to to set a path and chart it when there are all of these untold variables. So you have to just be more opportunistic and and emergent in your strategy. But also, I'd say there's there's some joy and some freedom in this flexibility. I, in some ways, look longingly at the lives that my mother or my grandfather had and we say, what amazing predictability. You could have a house and a family and you could pay for college and you could retire. Oh, my gosh. And I don't, I don't have any of those things promised. But on the flip side, that, that path was also a straitjacket, that if you evolve if your interests change, your needs change, and you're not the same person at 70 that you were at 20, too bad. You picked a path, you're on it, right? It was a straitjacket. And in some ways, I'm jealous, but in many ways, I am incredibly grateful for this flexibility that this new context affords people. And I, and the difference between sort of the dilettante, the rudderless person, and the strategic emergent, opportunistic person really is a matter of storytelling. Mm -hmm. I can see that. And I think in the book, you might even call it non-traditional career paths. Like Mm -hmm. it's not connect the dots one job after another. And at the same time, I was curious, when I first saw the title of the book on the bookshelf at Barnes and Noble, I said, the portfolio life. And it made me reminisce back to Tom Peters. We talked about the brand is you. And Mm -hmm. you're only as good as your portfolio. And think about the work you've done, not just the titles you've had. Mm -hmm. And and I'm wondering how you can connect and bridge those two ideas. Because even in these non-traditional career paths, it's the work you're doing and Mm -hmm. the creativity you're exhibiting, right, in your portfolio. Absolutely. And and this is what led me to create this moniker for myself. I'm a human Venn diagram who's built a career at the intersection of business, technology, and the arts. Because it's one way to demonstrate what I've done and how those things connect to each other. And that is the crux of what I bring to the table. And I think it's the same idea here. We are all multifaceted, three-dimensional human beings. We have interests, we have skills, we have little things that we nerd out about that probably don't make it onto our resume or onto our LinkedIn, but are part of who we are. And they're part of how we connect with people. And they're part of the perspective that we bring to the table when we're solving a problem or thinking of a, a person we might introduce to a context. And so if you if you pull up from the job title on your business card or your LinkedIn, if you even pull up from the function or the industry that you have been in to date and say, that's not who I am, that's simply what I've been doing, 
what am I beyond that? You start recognizing it's this collection of all of the different pieces of who you are. And this is why I call it a portfolio life and not a portfolio career, because your career is in the context of your life. So as I look at my portfolio, it's not just about my work as a professor and author and investor and speaker. It's also about my life as a mother and a wife, as a friend, as a creative, a musician, a runner, right? All of those things are a part of what I offer and how I see the world. And so it's really about allocating your time and your talents across a portfolio in an intentional and strategic way for the phase of life you're in. And then when that phase of life changes, you rethink your portfolio. Yes. And some of these principles translate over into the company that you might be starting. The firm mm -hmm. itself has mm -hmm. to have this portfolio uh, of ideas. And you, you wrote a book previously co-authored with uh, David Kidder on New mm -hmm. to Big, but you talk about entrepreneurs and investing like portfolios. Hey. Curious how you feel, though, how the companies can support and again, balance their, hey, we have to make a profit, we have to mm -hmm. grow, we have to have rigor here. But mm -hmm. we also want to maintain a focus on the people. So their yeah. growth, their success, their portfolio. How, how do business owners and entrepreneurs balance that? I, I see this from two perspectives. One is there's research that I point to in the book that shows people are happier and more effective at their job when they have something outside of work as well. Right? Shocker, but mm -hmm. I'm glad we have research that supports this. Right? Uh, and that now we can admit it. <laughs> and now we can admit it, whether it's a hobby or a side hustle or whatever those things are, when you're not relying on your job to provide all of your needs, psychological, financial, social, all of those things, when you have something else outside of work, it makes you better at your job, especially if your job sucks, right? <laughs> if you have those, like the good enough jobs, you're like, no one woke up today wanting to do this job, even better if they've got a hobby or something else they're pursuing in addition to that. You want them to have that. And secondly, if you uh, allow your talent to see themselves flexibly, to see how they show up and how they add value in their job, in their contributions to your team flexibly, it actually gives you as a manager a ton more flexibility in the moment that you need to rebalance your talent. And I think this is particularly true right now. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I joke that chat GPT was not on anyone's lips in the moment that I finished writing this book. And then boom, <laughs> so, like a month later, then, yes. I'm out of I'm out of uh, date. Chat GPT is going to, and generative AI in general, is going to dramatically upend the talent we need across particularly white collar jobs, the jobs that haven't been as disrupted by technology as some of the, the the more blue collar jobs up to this point, we're going to see a dramatic reshuffling. Now, that doesn't mean we don't need people to work. We're just going to need them to work in different ways. And if we have that culture of flexibility, of retooling, retraining, reallocating people to say, hey, you used to do this, but I know you also care about this other thing. And I have a new role it's going to be a stretch. It's going to be a new assignment, but I know you can do it. And I'm really excited to see you grow into it. I think we're going to see a lot more collaboration and excitement about that shift rather than the fear of, I, I have to fire my whole team and hire a whole new group because what I need is very different from what I used to need. Yes. 
And part of the subtitle of the book is to future-proof your career. But I, I was just talking with someone yesterday about this roller coaster of business trends and economic forces. Five mm -hmm. years ago, it was, as you said, I'm not even going to put that on my resume because it doesn't have anything to do with my career. Uh, three years ago, the companies are like, please don't quit. Work anywhere you want. <laughs> just stay. And then today, it's actually, we do want you to quit. And we're downsizing. It's like, where, where did we go from please don't quit to I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you go. How does this kind of portfolio thinking, though, mm -hmm. future proof or mm -hmm. disaster proof, if you will, my, yeah. my job path? In many ways, it's about the same idea that I brought up in New to Big. It's a portfolio of bets. When you can't see the future, you need to have lots of bets in play. And I don't mean this in a take a ton of risk, but you got to have lots of irons in the fire. So when you are future-proofing a career, some of the things that that might look like, if you've been in a job for a while, there was some research on this. I think Forbes just published a couple of weeks back around like the magic number is about seven years. Beyond seven years, you start losing your the diversification of your network. You're less attuned to paying attention to maybe the upskilling or the job description changes in your industry, right? You start getting comfortable. And the problem is while that used to be perceived as loyalty and that loyalty was reflected back to you by the company, sure. that's not true anymore. So as you think about diversification, it's partly how you see yourself, that identity question. Don't be quite so attached to your job title, your industry, your function. See it more broadly. Where else might I be able to play? But it's also about your network, your skills, your relationships. Where else are you cultivating strengths? And that could be volunteer work. It could be side hustles. It could be serious hobbies that you've gone down. I give some great case studies in the book. Some people are like, those are really extreme. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. I'm trying to show you the <laughs> breadth of where we can go here. But a great story of in the book of Robert Lang, who was a physicist who became an origami artist. And that might be the most extreme on the planet. But, but even there, he brought his laser physics, his mathematics, his engineering mindset to origami and then ended up finding applications for that in industry with telescopes and other materials as well. So it's just one example to see how broadly you can consider what your place in the world is and the different ways that you can remix the things you care about, that you're interested in, the skills you have, the skills you want to cultivate that might afford you an innovative approach to whatever comes next. Love that. Christine, I want to get into the craftsmanship of the book and your uh, approach to writing it. And why don't we start with maybe you could read us an excerpt uh, sure. from the book and give us an idea of the tone, the voice, and the style. This is from the tail end of chapter one. The portfolio life is built on these ideas. One, you are more than any one role or opportunity. Two, diversification will help you navigate change and mitigate uncertainty. And three, when your needs change, you can and should rebalance your portfolio. The term portfolio life was first coined in 1989 by Charles Handy in his book, The Age of Unreason. He bristled at the notion that your life's work should be one narrowly defined job and instead argued it could be a collection of passions, interests, and hobbies. While his definition was still work-focused, I expand the definition of a portfolio life more broadly 
to include relationships, community, personal growth, and impact. After all, you are more than your economic output, and the imprint of your life is far bigger than your business card. Make no mistake, the portfolio life is not about the future of work. This is about the present of work, and it is offering the freedom to pursue what fits us and what fills us. It is granting us permission to step back from the cult of ambition and define our lives outside of our paid labor. It is the chance to write a new story where we can be happy not in the future after we've tap danced our way around one world-altering event after another in hopes of keeping our heads above water, but one where we can be happy now. After all, you only live once. Thanks for sharing that. And listeners, this is a reminder. My guest is Christina Wallace. We've been talking about her new book, The Portfolio Life. Christina, I I love the approach of, it's very much a motivational, it's a business book, it's a how-to book, (laughs) but you didn't just say, here are the three steps, now go off and do it. It's colorful language, you're tap dancing and you're keeping your heads above water and all these (laughs) sorts of things. It's very descriptive. How did your own background inform your approach to this? Ed tech, corporate innovation, venture back companies and fashion and your interest in the arts. How mm-hmm. did all this come together to say, I want to write this book that also reflects my life, but gives people some insight on how to do it? Sure. I, I not so jokingly say I wrote this book to explain to my mother what I've been doing for the last 15 <laughs> years. Um, no. So so I have had a very much of a, what I call in the book a zigzag path where I go down one path and then I make a 90 degree turn in another direction. But I'm pulling those experiences and concepts and competencies from one world into another. And that's what I offer that's new. So I started my life as a classical musician, studying piano, cello, and voice as a child. Then I double majored in math and theater in college and started my professional career in the opera world. And then I went off to business school and the entire world fell apart. The financial crisis came, there were no jobs, and that's when I discovered tech. But all along the way, I found these connections between creating something from nothing, putting a scaffolding around, stealing these frameworks, these structures from the business world as a way to understand what I was doing with my life. And then I got to business school and I had Professor Clay Christensen who gave us quite explicitly the directive to use these tools that we were using to manage companies as a way of managing our lives. And as I went out and started building startups, I had the opportunity to be a columnist for Forbes for several years and to start a podcast with them. And as I looked for, okay, what do I have to offer? What's, what is my voice offering that's new? It was that. And I started writing about these ideas in short form. And what's fun about starting a book that way, this is now my advice to any writer, to start by blogging or putting it on LinkedIn posts or whatever that is, is you get the immediate feedback loop. You get to see where the ideas resonate. You see the comments and the the reposts and reshares. You see where something has heat and it gives you the direction to keep going in. So in uh, the wake of the pandemic, as I was sitting still for longer than was comfortable, as many of us were, I was talking with my agent about what my next book would be. And this is where we landed, pulling all of these posts together into one, one kind of format, one framework as a way to understand and put shape to the permission and also the process of building this diversified, flexible life. Yes. 
And the process is one thing because I think about if you're like me and my circle of creative friends, whether they're in the, the arts or musicians or anything else, how many times have you heard, I'm really good at my art, but I'm not really good at the business side. Uh -huh. you know, I hate marketing. I don't like cold calls. I'm not really good at numbers. Spreadsheets mm -hmm. make me tingle. Um, <laughs> how, how is it that we creatives can bridge that gap? Because there is a certain amount of that side of the portfolio mm -hmm. that you do have to be successful in your art, in your craft. You do. And the whole last third of this book is very in the weeds. There are spreadsheets, I'm sorry to say, in one of the chapters and Gantt charts and, and others as well. No, So so part of what I think helps creatives uh, span this gap is when you recognize it's not it's not the have to do. It's, it's, oh, I don't want to do my taxes. I don't want to do my accounting. All these things are pulling me away from doing the thing I want to do, which is creating. And instead, think about it from the perspective of this this lets me, this enables me to do the thing that I love to do. It it allows me to keep making art because I'm getting paid for it if I send these invoices. <laughs> and so <laughs> um, finding the joy and the story in what you're doing, right? It actually strikes me so funny when people say, I hate marketing. Marketing is just storytelling. It's understanding who your customer is and giving them the story so they can find how you are solving their problem. You're meeting their need. Sales is story. My favorite hack is to hire former actors in sales jobs. And even invoicing is story because you're showing them what you're worth and why you deserve to be paid for this. So part of this is finding the motivation to say, I am worth the infrastructure of supporting the art. And this is what allows me to keep doing the art. And equally, it might be investing in systems or teams or software that pulls some of that off your plate. You're allowed to also have rest and help and downtime. You don't have to do everything the hard way. Mm. I grew up in the Midwest raised by a grandmother. Like you don't ever pay someone to do something you're able to do yourself. <laughs> that was burned into my brain. And yet there are times when it makes sense to pay someone else to do something because it frees up the space for you to do the thing that you are meant to do. Yes. What about learnings for yourself, Christina, as you were developing this book? Mm -hmm. Did you have your own aha moments? This sort of out of body, I'm the writer, but I'm now I'm also mm -hmm. reading this. Did you ever have those moments? I certainly continue to need to take my advice when it comes to time management. <laughs> I, I say this straight up in the book. Um, part of the joy of a portfolio life is that you have all these different moving pieces and that gives you innovation and sparks and all these like fresh perspectives, but it also can be hard to manage those moving pieces. And so you have to have more discipline in managing your time, in saying no, and in specifically in capping how much you commit to. And that's not just work, it's across everything. When your children need you, your partner, your you know other things, volunteer work or hobbies that you've committed to, there's sort of this sweet spot at 85% utilization, 85% capacity, leave intentional downtime. And I am great at writing that chapter and pointing <laughs> to the research. I see the argument and I am still working on that one myself. Oh, fantastic.
Christine, I can't thank you enough. I do want to end uh, here in a moment with a burning question for all of us. But first, uh, Christina Wallace, she's the author of a great book, The Portfolio Life, How to Future Proof Her Career, Avoid Burnout, and Build a Life Bigger Than Your Business Card, just out from Hachette Burke Group. But Christina, one of the things as you were reading that passage, when your needs change, you can rebalance and things, but you, there's a parenthetical, not just when, not just if, mm-hmm. it is going to happen. Yes. So even as we tape this, in this conversation, as you said, as soon as you hit send on your manuscript, it was out of date. <laughs> yes. As soon as we finish recording this podcast, some new item is going to change uh, our lives. Mm-hmm. Why do we need to be in tune? And how can we tune into this better? Give us some advice as creative people on on keeping that portfolio balanced in the right way. I mean, this is is the air we breathe right now. The, The rate of change has never been this fast and it will never be this slow ever again. This is the world that we are in. And to stay in balance, there's this tension between staying rooted the stability of who you are, what you care about, how you want to allocate your time, and then also the flexibility of being in touch with what is changing and how might I be changing with it, right? Whether it's your needs shift as you go through different seasons of life or whether it's you see yourself in a new light as the world around you changes. Maybe a job or an industry appears that didn't exist before and suddenly you're like, wait, I could do that could be the next season of who I am, right? So there's both internal uh, waves and external ones that can contribute to this, but recognizing that we are not going to be the same person over the course of a life and that the it's not just the willingness to change, but the necessity of growing and changing as you go through these stages is what's going to ensure you don't end up on that deathbed with regrets, right? Live the life that that you are meant to live and not the one maybe you thought you wanted at 26. Yes, so good. Thanks for that encouragement. Christina Wallace has been my guest. And Christina, I will echo what you said about trying to craft a book that has principles and the three steps and all these kind of things, but great examples, real life encouragement that we can turn to. And listeners, if you think these stories are just what ifs, Stay tuned to our next episode. We're going to be talking to somebody who majored in planetary science, became a lawyer, and now thinks about the creative brain and how it works. So these are real portfolios. Christina, thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here. And listeners, come back again next time. We're going to continue these conversations on how creatives get inspired and how we organize ideas. And as we've talked about today, how we gain the confidence and the connections to launch our work out into the world. So until next time, I'm Mark Sensen, and we'll be unlocking your world of creativity. We'll see you soon. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliQ Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and thepeaceroom.love. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media. The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey.
It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83 Bar. Look for the patient speak on your favorite podcast app.